You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, recorded at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, where we offer courses, events, and more for intellectually curious adults age 50 and better. To learn more about our program, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak, as she sits down for a conversation with one of the people who makes our program so special. This is Jordan Williams speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. Today, I'll be interviewing the regular host of this podcast, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. Susan was formally educated and licensed as a speech and language pathologist and holds a master's design certificate in graphic design from the Sessions School of Design. Susan has worked with a variety of governmental agencies, commercial businesses, and nonprofit organizations, developing marketing materials and photographic services for brochures, videography, websites, and logo design. She's also a graduate of public affairs training from the Defense Information School. Susan was a department of the Army-level spokeswoman dealing with national and international news media, preparing press releases and strategies to communicate throughout major media markets as well as community relation plans. In 1989, she was part of a small public relations team for the On-Site Inspection Agency that won the 1989 Silver Anvil Award. Before relocating to Texas, Susan also hosted the Library Out Loud interview series at the Albert Wisner Public Library in Warwick, New York. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Jordan. I have to say it's very different being on this side of the table. <laughs> well, we're very fortunate to have you as our guest today. Thank and, you. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you on this podcast for several months, but I have to admit I was surprised to read your full biography and learn just how accomplished you are in Thank so you. many different areas. Um, before we get into some of the details about your professional career, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where were you born? Well, I was born actually in Nuremberg, Germany. My father was in the army. He was stationed in Germany at the time. Then we lived in the United States the rest of the time that he was in the service, traveling a great deal, moving around a lot. My family is from the Lake of the Ozarks area in Missouri, but we just lived all over. We moved just about every two and a half years when I was young. And then once I got older, I lived more in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Wow, and it definitely seems like that connection to the Army lasted throughout your career. Can you talk a little bit about some of the work you did as a spokeswoman for the Army? What kind of experiences did you have working with news media? That was really an interesting experience for me. There were several areas within the public affairs in the Army. There was community relations. There was programming where you would do internal communications throughout the different facets of the Army, as well as answering requests that came in from the media That was a very interesting thing to do. Uh, My job primarily was to allow the media the opportunity to interview the experts in whatever areas they were looking at or 
to explain to them things that had already been prepared by the experts so that I could be the spokesperson and communicate the information to the media in a correct way. And they could use that for the articles to inform the public about the different programs that the Army was doing. But one of my most exciting times was when I had first started. I had a wonderful supervisor. She had been working for public affairs for the Department of the Army for many years. We were in the Pentagon, by the way, is where we were working. One of her main responsibilities was working with the motion picture industry and TV and advertising when they needed help from the Army in order to do different things in the movies or in their advertisement. If they wanted to have something be factually correct, they would check that out. But uh, one of the requests came in, and it happened to land on the new girl's desk, which was me, that they were working on a commercial that needed an Army helicopter, and they needed it like in three days. And as you can imagine, with any large organization, such as the Department of the Army, nor Normally that kind of thing takes a little while to work through the different levels. And I was so excited by the whole thing. And my supervisor had said, go for it. See what you can do. So I'm running around the halls in going to the Department of Defense and different areas, getting the approvals that were needed. And the people were absolutely thrilled. But it was a fun opportunity for me to be involved in something like that. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting and kind of colliding of two different worlds of the creative mindset and the more organized and obviously very complex and logistical side of the military. Exactly. So I mentioned in the introduction that you were part of a PR team that won an award in 1989. Can you tell us more about the on-site inspection agency and the Silver Anvil Award? Yeah, that was another experience that was pretty amazing. Uh, The INF Treaty was the treaty between the Soviet Union before the Soviet Union fell and the United States. It was the elimination of intermediate range nuclear missiles. It was a new day. The Cold War was coming to an end. It was an exciting time. I mean, people were actually, instead of saying, we have more missiles, our missiles are bigger and better than yours, you better watch out. There was a decision between these two major superpowers to actually look at arms control and eliminating the missiles. So it was a very different time, and that's what the on-site inspection agency was charged to follow these elements of the treaty in terms of the word was trust but verify. (laughs) So, yes, you would trust the other country to eliminate the missiles, but you would be there to make sure that that elimination was happening. And that was true on both sides. So the on-site inspection agency was formed and the inspectors were ready to go on these inspections and elimination trips. We had a very, very small office. We're talking three people. Oh, wow. And there again, I had the good fortune to work for a gentleman who was a captain, a Navy captain at the time, which is equivalent to an Army colonel. His name was Kendall Pease. He later became an admiral and was actually the public affairs officer for the whole Department of the Navy later on. He was the person in public affairs, but he was a communications master. And because we were such a small office, 
And the treaty wouldn't allow any public observation of the eliminations of the missiles or the inspections. We had quite an interesting public relations, public communications challenge in that we had to assure the public that what was happening was done in a very professional manner just as the treaty would require. And of course, the media was very interesting. So actually, I, you know, I have to say, Kendall Pease put together just an incredible program of media days where we would have the press meet us at different areas where the eliminations would occur and the inspections would occur and show them what the Soviet inspectors would be seeing and educating them so that they had an idea as well as educating the different people in public affairs at the different sites throughout the United States. We submitted that plan to the Public Relations Society of America for the Silver Anvil Award. It was called The Russians Are Coming. (laughs) And fortunately it won. Uh, It was a very interesting time. I actually got to go to Vodkinsk, which was the birthplace of Tchaikovsky. I remember looking across a lake just imagining Tchaikovsky creating his beautiful music in this lovely little village. And I was there because the one permanent site for the U.S. inspectors was being built there in Vodkinsk. And I had the opportunity to give the inspectors media training because the Soviet media was very interested in knowing what they were all about, what the treaty was about and the inspections were about. And so it was just an opportunity to help them to be prepared to be interviewed by reporters. That's really fascinating. I personally am always interested to know or to learn how our use of language filters into other things that, you know, the main headline, obviously, of a a situation like that is very diplomatic related and, and military related but there's got to be a way to change communications when a policy changes or when diplomatic relations change. And that involves what kind of words you're, you're using about um, that what is, you're doing. You, you really hit the nail on the head there because the important thing was when you have individuals who are part of a, an organization, especially in a mission like that, you want to be sure that people are saying the message that is important for that organization to convey. I'm sure you find that in your work as well, that it's important that whatever you design and whatever you do says the message of Ali and what that is about and the professionalism involved in it. So that was a very important aspect of going to Vodkinsk was to ensure that when we're speaking to the media that we're representing, if we're speaking as a spokesperson for a certain organization, that you're really conveying that organization's message in a very clear, honest, and concise manner. Sure. I might have to pick your brain before we do our next Ali ambassador training to see if I can get any tips. I'll tell you the funniest thing that I used to tell them that they taught me when I was at the Defense Information School is they used to drum into our head that if there is a camera in the room and there's a microphone in the room, you just assume it's on. Yeah. You know, okay. if the reporter is talking to you and turns that tape recorder off, your interview is not over. And so they would drum that in our heads, class after class. And so one day we all walk in and, you know, we're getting ready for the class and we don't know what they're going to cover that day. But there was a camera there, so I'm sure they were going to talk about something with the camera. And then we all get settled in and everything in our usual visiting before class. And the instructor comes in and she turns off the camera and then she plays back 
because they had just been telling us the camera's in the room. So it was a very funny experience to see ourselves all in our morning ritual before class. (laughs) And that made great preparation. I guess couldn't have known at that time, but that's certainly the world we live in now when everybody's got a camera in their pocket. That's absolutely the truth. You got that right. Your career in public relations wasn't limited to working for the armed forces. You've also consulted for and trained many other organizations. As the communication specialist for this department at UNT, I'd be very interested to know what your years of experience in PR has taught you. Uh, Can you share with us a little bit more about your approach to developing strategies for communicating effectively through the media? Sure. In a nutshell, the first step is always to define what the overall objectives are. Most importantly, what is the message that the organization wants to convey? For example, when I worked at the on-site inspection agency, our message was to communicate the high level of professionalism of the OSIA inspectors. And then, of course, who are the key audiences that the strategy is designed to reach? Identifying the media channels that will best reach the people who you would like to communicate with and receive the message, and to have some sort of a strategy to determine how well the communication objectives are being achieved. It's always important to evaluate the results after a strategy has been employed to see if things are going the way we'd like them to go. I know that none of this would be news to you. You do such an excellent job with what you do. And you also incorporate things that I didn't have to deal with, such as social media. That really wasn't coming into play when I was doing my work for the Army or the on-site inspection agency. I have done that in terms of websites later on down the road, but not in terms of really putting a major communication strategy plan together. But I would say your approach is amazing. I know that you have come up with what message that you want to convey through Ollie with the professionalism, and you all do such a great job of going out into the communities. So it's not just something that's on the website or that you see laying on a table. You're actually out in the communities. And I have to say, I am so impressed with the ambassador program. That's just a great way to get the message out, and what better way than with people that are actually members. Well, that's very obviously gratifying to hear, and I can definitely second that. It sometimes can be overwhelming trying to chase an audience on social media because you have so little control over that platform. It's a platform that anybody can get onto and anybody can sort of control for any period of time that can push your messages down to the bottom of the list, especially. So you're absolutely right. Word of mouth and our ambassadors are a huge part of what we do. Uh, So, Susan, you have a long history of being active in your community, from working with nonprofit organizations to making audio recordings for the visually impaired and supporting your local library. In fact, you played a key role in bringing some significant recognition to the Albert Wisner Public Library in New York. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I certainly can. The Albert Wisner Public Library is headed up by one of the most talented library directors in the world. (laughs) Rosemary Cooper, and she has done an amazing job of having the library actually be the community center. If there is anything that someone is considering presenting in that area, they normally run it by the library first in terms of either a presentation or bringing groups of people together. So the programs that the library had were so inclusive 
so many different populations, elderly, disabled, immigrants, so many different things that I was very, very happy to be a part of writing the nomination for consideration by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who worked in concert with the Library Journal magazine, and they awarded Albert Wisner Public Library the Best Small Library in America Award. It was an exciting time. That's one thing that has been very impressive to me working with you is that you clearly have a desire to support whatever's going on in your community that you believe in, helping to raise the visibility. Obviously, we're benefiting from that with you doing uh, the podcast, but um, I think you're such a great representative of our program and our membership because really that's something that I see across our membership in so many different ways. People eager to use whatever their strength might be to help sort of grow the program that they believe in. Community involvement is key to a quality of life for everyone in the community. And it's wonderful to see, as you say, the different talents coming together to combine to produce an exciting, vibrant, alive community. And it takes everyone. It takes so many different contributions because so many people have these hidden little gems that they just stay hidden away if they don't come forward and use them and they make things very much better for everyone. I couldn't agree more. Uh, So you were also the host of an interview series at that library. Uh, Can you share with our listeners what your experience has been like conducting these interviews, first at your local library in New York and now on this podcast? I sure can. I found a real love in life when I started doing this kind of thing. It came about in an interesting way. It's like so many things that I found in my life. You know, I started out thinking I was going to have this one career and then started doing this other thing. And I find that if you just follow your passions, at least in my case, if I follow what I'm passionate about and I follow what I'm interested in, these opportunities come up that would never come up if I would seek them actually particularly specifically that certain thing. But if I just do what I enjoy, and the Albert Wisner Public Library had received a grant from the Smithsonian Institution for an objects project that they were keeping these audio recordings stored at the Smithsonian. And they asked the libraries to invite people from the community to bring in objects that had special significance to them. I saw that the library was looking for someone who could do that. I'd never done anything like that before, but I sure wanted to hear about those objects, and I wanted to see them. And I thought, that just sounds like fun. And I said, yes, please, I'd love to do it. Well, I guess they liked the interviews at the library because they came to me and said, you know, they're not far outside of the New York City area, very interesting area, much like this. There are some people that live there and live here that just have some incredible experiences and things to share. And when they would come in and do programs at the library, not everyone could hear the programs they weren't able to attend. So they said, you know, we really need someone who can talk to these people and we'll have it on recording so that if people can't make it in to see the program, they have an opportunity to just go on their computers and see what it is. Well, the, my first one was actually with two comedians okay. who had 
I believe the movie was Three Still Standing. It was showing at the Woodstock Film Festival in Woodstock, New York. They had been these stand-up comedians back in the day, even before the comedy group in Chicago. They were in California doing stand-up comedy with Robin Williams and a lot of other people like that. They were a couple of the people who didn't go on to... Second City. Second City, thank you very much, that didn't go on to Second City. And so they were my very first interview. And I was like, oh my goodness, here I have these professional entertainers, these movie stars, and I have never done anything like this before. Well, we had a great time. They were so funny, and they were so good to help me through the whole thing. And I realized from the get-go that I just actually thoroughly enjoy speaking to people. And as I said before, I find that no matter who you're talking to, it can be anyone in the community, people have these little hidden gems. They have incredible stories if they just have the opportunity to talk about it. And uh, with this podcast and the Library at Loud in New York, I've had the opportunity to speak to some experts on just a wide variety of things. from climate control to breaking codes to World War II. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I truly am. I cannot thank Stephanie and the rest of the Ollie staff for giving me the chance to interview people for this Ollie podcast. It's so much fun. Well, I've definitely heard from members who have echoed what you just laid out, that they appreciate being able to be introduced to a speaker that they might not have attended their class and maybe will in the future or just have the opportunity to hear what they have to say. I think it helps a great deal when you're going to go to a class and on a subject. When you understand the depth of that person's knowledge, you know that what you're hearing is something that's just, what an opportunity that you have to drive five minutes and however long it takes you to drive, you offer it in so many convenient places. And here's someone that... Talk about something that you you may not know anything about, or you may love that topic and be able to hear something coming from a true expert. Definitely. Finally, I happen to know that you've also recently undertaken a writing project, which is a book about the life of a successful entrepreneur. I know that's still in the works and there isn't much you can say about the subject of the book, but what has the writing process been like for you? Again, I I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's one of those opportunities that came to me that I am so grateful to have because it's actually very much in line with podcast interviews because in taking an incredibly successful and accomplished person's life and looking at the various facets of what they have done I learn each facet, I learn something new. Some of it comes to me naturally. Some of it, like high-yield junk bonds, don't. Okay. I'd be the same way. I'm no financial expert in any way, shape, or form. But researching that has been very interesting to me. I just love the whole process of researching it. I love to write. I always have. Even when I was a public relations person for whatever I was doing at the time, writing, the writing part of it was always my favorite part. And so this is just right down my alley. I love doing that. But I have also learned, when we were talking about the social media, one of the things that I had to research were innovations innovative strategies for media. And 
There are different areas throughout the world, I'm sure, this country, but particularly Syracuse University that has a lab where they are taking the 3D virtual reality innovations and incorporating that in different ways. So, for example, the New York Times is exploring using the 3D virtual reality innovations to, say, tell a story about perhaps a volcanic eruption, so that if they were covering a story on a volcanic eruption, you would actually be able to be there. So you're experiencing it because they've taken 3D pictures all over. And another interesting thing that is being incorporated is even in architecture. And I believe in the uh, at Times Square in New York, they have used a gentleman's wall where people walk by and the wall interacts. And you, oh, wow. you so, look down and you see, put your hand here and you put your hand here and then the wall shows you something else. Move here and it shows you something else. So we talked about different communication strategies What a way to communicate different things. I mean, in 10 years from now, there's no way to imagine what might be the standard way of communicating a news story so that people feel that they're truly there. So the writing process, you can see, I get excited about things like that. I just really do. Again, it's that there are so many areas of interest that it's just thrilling to find out what people are doing. People are doing so many incredible things that have been beyond my imagination and to see that people are actually doing them in the world today. So that's been my experience with the writing process. I absolutely am having the best time with it that I possibly could. I love it. Well, yeah, that's great. Um, Well, thank you, Susan. We've been extremely fortunate to have you as a member And we couldn't ask for a better host of this podcast. Um, As I said, you're a great ambassador for our program and an excellent example of how members can step up and make Ollie at UNT their own. The work you put into scheduling these interviews and even editing the audio always impresses me, considering everything else you've got going on. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Jordan. It's been a delight. This has been Jordan Williams speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with the regular host of this podcast, Susan Supak. Thanks so much for listening.